Crime One and Chaos contains adult language and graphic content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the jungle, Chaos Kids. I'm Amber. <laughs> and I'm Naomi. <laughs> and this is Crime Wine and Chaos. It is. We're going down. <laughs> uh-huh. As Mary J. Blige would say. I'm going down. Oh, <laughs> hello. Hi, sister. How are you today? You look oh, very bundled. Are you I'm, warm enough? Yeah, I, well, you know, I just exist in this little eight by eight room all day. I'm in sweatpants and a sweatshirt and I just live here. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. I know how you roll. Yeah, I am pretty bundled. I'm a bit chilly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You look the pretty room, bundled It's never too. the right temperature. I mean, I'm just in a hoodie because... I didn't want to, you know, you're recording these things on video now. I don't want to be sitting here in like just my sports bra if I can help it. I mean, I know I've done it, but I I don't know. I don't know. I was feeling a little more modest today. I understand. I have days like that too. Some days you just feel more modest than others. I totally agree. Well, what's going on, sister? We have some new Chaos Kids Club members. We sure do. They came in hot, both of them, on the very first day of the year, which is amazing. So mm-hmm. we have uh, Valerie G. Woo! Ain't nothing Hello. but a G. <laughs> Hello, Valerie G. Thank you for joining the club. And we also have Jeremy R. Mm. <laughs> Thank you, Jeremy. Aren't you the sweetest? <laughs> Jeremy spoke in class today. I wonder if it was their New Year's resolution to consume more crime, wine, and chaos. Maybe, maybe, or just to support small creators, you know? That's right. Which I can that's get right. on board with, which I can, mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of part of my New Year's goal, my New Year's goals. Mm-hmm. No mm-hmm. resolutions mm-hmm. here for me. What else? Oh, hey, announcement, guys. We finally did decide on a date and time for virtual wine night for the Chaos Kids Look Club members. So we're going to do that on Saturday, January 20th. 20th. I am not good with numbers, you guys. I apologize. January 20th. (laughs) January 20th, 6 p.m. Pacific. That's 9 p.m. Eastern. And all the other PMs in between. I, uh-huh. You get it. You get it. I so get we'll it. send out info mm-hmm. to the Chaos Kids Club members so you'll be able to to join and we'll we'll get together and we'll we'll have some some virtual wine time. Talk about oh, it. Love Can't it. Wait. I cannot Same-sies. wait. Did you know that Indiana, half the state is like the time zone splits right there? I mean, There's, of course it does. Of course it does. That would drive me nuts. I, w- I mean... I mean, I'm what sure that weird... can't be the only state where that happens, is it? I have no idea. I just learned that this week. So Okay. Well, I mean, the more you know, you know. Mm, exactly. The mm-hmm. more you know. Speaking um, of, oh my, no, go ahead. No, you, please. Did you hear about Gypsy Rose? That she's out and about? Not only is she out and about, but mm-hmm. like, okay, we're recording this on the 5th of January. She's been on TikTok for like five days, maybe. Mm-hmm. She has millions of followers. She has videos she's posted that have like 65 plus million views. Mm-hmm. People are just lining up in droves to follow this woman. Yeah. And it is weird, Amber. It is weird. Well, yeah, we've been on TikTok for like five months and we've got like 60 followers. <laughs> I have conflicted feelings about her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a tough, that's a tough one. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to like have some kind of empathy or understanding. She served her time, blah, 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 all of that. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's a whole other thing for her to then get out of prison and become Basically, one of the most popular accounts on a social media platform, you know, mm-hmm. if that, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm feeling some kind of way about it. I feel like that'll probably taper off. And I also feel like it might be more of like people want to be looky loose. Like that was one of the that's probably the most egregious case of Munchausen's like ever documented that you know what i'm saying like people are probably just really curious 
not sure. necessarily they're not necessarily like you know big fans you know I mean, I hope I not. Know. I mean, there are those people <laughs> that like write letters to and fall in love with and marry like serial killers in prison and shit. So it's not. Well, she is married. Of. I know. And there's been some talk about her, her comments on her man's like Instagram posts and stuff. And it's all very, it's all very, it's all very weird. It's all I'm mm. saying. Mm. It's all very weird. What are you drinking, well, sister? Thank you for asking. First off, big shout out to, have you met uh, my man friend's brother, Matthew? I have not. Oh man, he's such a gem of a human being. You would vibe with him. He's just got this energy that's just so kind. But anyway, he brought he brought over a bottle of wine when we had dinner the other night. It's called Seven Moons. It's a red blend from California. And it's delicious. It's so delicious. Three pants, 10 knives, seven moons, and a partridge in a pear tree. Hell yeah. Oh, don't forget about 14 hands and also seven deadly zins. That's a great Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Can I share you like this we- really quick and then we'll get, get on with it. I had sure. a thought bubble yesterday Uh-oh. and it was just like Uh-oh. one of those weird, I know, boop, 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 boop. one of those weird woo-woo moments, you know? Okay. Hear me out. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying, going to- I'm listening. <laughs> Oh my God. I'm going to London Bridge Studios on Saturday to record our next album with the band. Awesome. Okay. So I often think about when we went to Rockaway Beach on family vacay with our cousins. With Remember it fondly. Yes. Our favorite cousins. And on that weekend, one of the cousins had just purchased Pearl Jam 10 on cassette because it was a brand new album at the time. Yep, I remember that. And we listened to Black and it was like, it changed our lives. Yes. The whole album changed our lives. We binge listened to that while we played cards all weekend. And now it's just like a weird dink that 30 years later, I'm going to be recording in the studio that that album was recorded in with my cousin that was on that trip that introduced me to that album. It's amazing. Isn't that weird? No, it's amazing. It's amazing. And it's a small world. It really is a small world. It really is. Just so fucking cool. Anyway, that's what I got. Yeah. That's exciting. I love that. Thank you. you. I I love it. Thank Um, you. Well, I have a crime for you, sister. Do you want to hear it? Yes, please. Ironically, since we were just talking about Gypsy Rose, this one's one of those also like big time media, big time media. And it's you will likely know what it is as soon as I start talking about it. And I'm going to do my best here. A lot of the information I got from for this was from kind of a recap of a couple of books that were written. So and some articles, obviously, too. But I could have written like, you know, twice as much as I did. And and I mean, there's just so much out there on this this whole thing. So we're going to do our best here. Uh, it's pretty hefty, but I'm going to tell you about Amy Fisher. Oh my God. It is so weird that I just added that to my, I'll cross it off to my list <laughs> a few weeks ago. Please tell me about Amy Fisher. Are you ready? Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Which like I said, it's kind of interesting that we were having that conversation at the beginning, like this week, like the whole Gypsy Rose thing was going on because mm-hmm. there's, I don't want to say there's like similarities, but in the realm of like the media frenzy, mm-hmm. if you will. Okay. So yeah. Amy Elizabeth Fisher was born August 21st, 1974 to parents, Elliot and Roseanne Fisher. She was raised on Long Island in New York state and was very close with her mom and her grandmother and her auntie. I think her mom's mom and her mom's sister, but she mm-hmm. was terrified of her dad, Elliot, and growing up, she would avoid him. According to Amy in her memoir, she experienced multiple incidents of sexual assault throughout her childhood and into her teens. Oh, again, like a lot of this information came from a couple of books that were summarized. One of them being like Amy's like autobiography that was dictated by Amy and like written by like a ghost, right? Not a ghost writer, but somebody else who did the writing right. for her. Right. So it's mm-hmm. like some of this might be like a little bit of a grain of salt, but it, at the same time, I, I have, we have so much to talk about because I have so okay. many thoughts about this whole story. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it was late 
May of 1991, when Amy is now 16 years old, and she had a little accident with her car trying to back it out of the garage at her house, her parents' house where she lived. She hit the garage like wall and broke the side mirror off of the car. She, she was afraid of her dad's reaction. So she decided she was going to take it into an auto body shop on her own, thinking it wouldn't be a big deal to have it fixed without him even knowing. She mm-hmm. took her car to Complete Auto Body and Fender Incorporated in Baldwin, where she found out that fixing the mirror was going to cost way more than she could cover on her own. Mm-hmm. The owner of the shop was Joey Butafuoco. Mm-hmm. Butafuoco. she talked to joey and explained to him that she didn't want her dad to find out what she had done to the car and joey suggested that she just lie to her dad and say (laughs) that someone sideswiped her so that's what she did and the next day she and her dad went back to the shop to drop off the car and get it fixed amy was apparently impressed with how joey interacted with her dad and she found joey charming Mm-hmm. Over the next couple of months, Amy would return many times to the shop for repair work on her mirror. Okay. I mean, he, did he do a shoddy job the first time? Because you shouldn't have to continue to repair it. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Amy was definitely acting on a crush that she was developing mm-hmm. on Joey, who, sure, to be clear, at this time was 35 years old. And she's 16? That's right. Awesome. Okay. So after the mirror work was totally done, Amy decided to have a new stereo installed in her car and she took it to Joey's shop for that work. It was early July of 1991 when that work was being done and Joey offered to drive her home. And this was the day that the two started having a physical relationship. So she's like a little over a month away from her 17th birthday. God. Amy says that Joey made advances on her. I believe that. I do too. Over the next few weeks, Amy would go with Joey to motels to spend time alone together. And Amy was falling for Joey, who was also a married 35-year-old man with two kids. Mm-hmm. And again, she's 16 going on 17. He's 35. In Amy's telling of events, she said the two were getting emotionally close, that Joey more than once told Amy how unhappy he was in his marriage and that he hinted more than once at, quote, getting rid of Mary Jo, his wife. Jesus Christ. Joey would later deny that he ever said such a thing. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Just two weeks into this incredibly inappropriate relationship, Amy broke out in a rash and went to the gynecologist where she found out that she had contracted herpes. Oh my God. This guy sucks. Mm-hmm. So <sighs> bad. Mm-hmm. She knew she got it from Joey and she had to tell her her parents about the herpes, but she refused to tell them where she got it because she didn't want them to turn Joey in on statutory rape charges. Right. Amy briefly had a job at a clothing store in the mall, but was fired after about a month. Having recently bought a new car and struggling to make the payments, she was desperate for work when Joey suggested that she become an escort with a service called ABBA Escorts. Okay. I did not know that part. And he's what, her pimp or something? Nope, he's still just her boyfriend. Oh. Okay. She's working for a service, Amber. It's oh. fine. It's okay. fine. It's By the end of September 1991, Amy was making good money as an escort, although she didn't really like it. But it was paying for her car payments, so she kept doing it. During this time, things were getting rough for Amy in her friendships, her relationships with her family, and her schoolwork. She was all caught up in Joey and neglecting everything and everyone else. And her obsession with Joey was so deep that now she was starting to really think of Mary Jo as an obstacle to getting what she wanted. Uh, And do you know if Mary Jo had, I mean, if Amy is totally preoccupied with Joey, like how much time are they spending together? And is his wife, does she know? Is she like, where are you going? Oh, just wait. Okay. 
So in November, Amy gave Joey the classic ultimatum, either her or his wife. Mm -hmm. And Joey chose his wife. And Amy was shocked by this. Oh, Amy. I mean, she's 17. Mm -hmm. And she broke it off with Joey. Amy struggled with the breakup. She was still in love with Joey and she was still very jealous of Mary Jo, even going so far as to pose as a girl selling candy door to door to catch a glimpse of Mary Jo. Oh man, this is pre, uh, pre ability to cyber stalk. I mean, yeah, we're in like late, late, late Mm -hmm. in 19, it's 1991. Kind of pretend to sell candy. That's, that's a lot of work. Okay. Mm -hmm. In January Mm -hmm. of 92, Amy and Joey got back together. At the same time, Amy was also in a relationship with another man named Paul Makeley, co-owner of the gym Future Physique. Is he an old dude too? I could not find info on how old this guy was. That's literally in my next sentence. Or Hmm. how Amy met him, but I'm guessing he was way too old for her and likely she met him through escorting. Okay. Maybe, or he Mm -hmm. was a friend of Joey's. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. So Joey was okay with Amy being an escort, but not with this other relationship that she had with Paul, apparently. Okay. In May of 92, Amy went to the quintessential look salon where her friend Jane worked. Amy and Jane had met back in August when they both worked at that clothing store in the mall together. While Jane gave Amy a new color and style, she complained about her boyfriend cheating on her and how she wanted to get a gun and blow off that girl's head if this girl didn't leave her boyfriend alone. Jane was likely not serious, Uh but it got Amy's wheels turning. Amy asked Jane if Jane knew where to get a gun because Amy wanted to get rid of Mary Jo for good. Okay, even if Jane's not serious, like who talks like that? Right. I've never like this girl sucks. Ugh, I hate her. Not like I, I would never, I know. Talk about getting a gun and blowing someone's head off. No, good I God. Don't you don't talk like that. Uh, no, not <laughs> generally. No. Mm-mm. Okay. Good to know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jane told Amy that PDG might be able to help. And so Amy's plan was forming. Amy claims that later that night, she told Joey about her plan to kill his wife and that he instructed her on how to do it. Quote, when she answers it, don't even wait for her to open the screen door. Just shoot and keep shooting. Oh, my God. Of course, Joey later said that he never told Amy how to get rid of his wife and she was lying about that. Of course. Of course. Two days after the hair appointment and this alleged conversation where Joey told her how to kill his wife, Joey paged Amy on her beeper. Oh, God. It's 1992, you guys. It's 1992. I can love beepers, man. Bring it back. When When they got on the phone, Amy said he wanted to know, Joey wanted to know if she'd been able to get her hands on a gun. She also said that Joey wanted to know if Amy had gotten the money from Paul that he supposedly owed her. And Joey was demanding that she end her relationship with Paul. Amy said that she and Paul had fought the night before and broken up. (sighs) Two days later, May 19th, 1992, Amy stole some license plates that she and PDG put on his Thunderbird before they drove to the Buttafuoco residence, arriving around 1130 a.m. Who's PDG? He's just some dude that Jane hooked up Amy with to get a gun, apparently. Okay. I think his last name is like Guaganti or something like that, but everybody, Peter Guaganti, but everybody called him PDG. All right. So Amy stated that it was on the drive there that PD handed her a Titan 25 semi-automatic handgun from the glove compartment, which she wasn't expecting. She thought that PD would do the shooting, but he refused. Eventually, Amy got out of the car with the gun and went to the front door of the house. Mm. She confronted Mary Jo and had an almost 15-minute conversation with her. When Mary Mm. Jo answered the door, Amy asked her if she was the wife of Joey Buttafuoco. Mary Jo said that, yes, she was. Amy said that they should talk about her husband. Ooh. Mary Jo stepped outside the house and asked Amy what she wanted Amy told Mary Jo that her 16-year-old sister was having an affair with Joey. Mm. 
Mary Jo was ruffled and asked Amy who she was and where she lived. And Amy told Mary Jo that her name was Anne Marie and she lived in Dolphin Court. As the two talked on the front porch, Mary Jo noticed the Thunderbird parked in front of her house with PDG sitting in the driver's seat. She asked Amy who was in the car and Amy said it was her boyfriend. And then Amy told Mary Jo that she had proof of the affair between Joey and her sister and held up a t-shirt with the logo for the body shop on it. It's not very good proof. No, Mary Jo didn't think so either because Joey had given away a bunch of t-shirts with the auto body shops logo on it. Mm Mm-hmm. At this point, Mary Jo was just annoyed and pissed and decided she was done entertaining this girl on her porch. So she demanded Amy get off her property and Mary Jo turned to go into the house to call Joey. And that is when Amy pulled the handgun out of her pocket and struck Mary Jo in the head with it, possibly twice, before pointing the gun at Mary Jo's head and firing. Oh, God. Amy dropped the t-shirt and the gun and ran. PDG ordered Amy to go back and grab the shirt and the gun, which she did quickly. And then the two took off down the street. A bunch of neighbors had heard the gunshot. So they came running to investigate and they found Mary Jo lying on the front porch, bleeding profusely from her head. One of the neighbors called for an ambulance. Mary Jo was still alive, but her pulse was weakening. Oh God. The ambulance arrived within minutes and rushed Mary Jo to the Nassau Community Medical Center, where doctors prepared to perform surgery on her and attempt to save her life. Her chances of survival were not good. Wow. I didn't know that. Meanwhile, the police were trying to locate Joey and working to secure the crime scene and begin to deduce what the fuck had just happened. Mm-hmm. It's like the middle of the day, right? Yeah, I mean, they got to her house at like 11.30 in the morning. Jesus. This all happened before noon. God. So there was obviously no sign of robbery, and it wasn't mafia-related since Mary Jo was a housewife, not a mobster. Mary Jo was in surgery for hours, and doctors were able to stabilize her, but they were not able to remove the bullet from her head. Her chances of survival had increased, but it was still uncertain if she would make it. Wow. While she was in surgery, detectives interviewed Joey, trying to understand what the fuck this was all about and trying to find leads that could help them find the shooter. Joey told them there were two people they should look at, Paul Makeley and Amy Fisher. What a dick. Joey wove a story for the detective telling him that Amy was a friend of his and that Paul was her boyfriend. And he said that Paul was involved in drugs and that Amy had given him money to pay off some debts. He said that he told Amy that loaning Paul money was a mistake. And Paul must have found out that Joey said that and came to the Butafuco house for revenge. That doesn't make any sense at all. That sounds like it's completely between Amy and Paul. And what the hell did his wife have to do with this? Doesn't make any sense. No, the cops thought. It didn't make sense either. Okay. But they had nothing else to go on until the the next day when Mary Jo regained consciousness. Mm. The detective went to Mary Jo bedside immediately and asked her what she could remember. And this is when she tells police that the shooter was a teenage girl with brown hair named Anne Marie who lived in Dolphin Court. She also told them about the young man in the maroon car that Anne Marie claimed was her boyfriend. And then she recalled the shirt from the body shop that the girl had with her. And the police knew that Joey was more involved in this than initially thought. Mm -hmm. Of course, now Joey has to try to amend his shit because the cops are getting closer to the truth. So he tells them the shooter must be Amy because he remembers giving her that shirt the police don't have much else to go on, so they get a picture of Amy and take it to Mary Jo, who identifies the girl in the photo as Anne Marie. Right. An arrest warrant for Amy was quickly obtained and her house was stocked out, right? Like staked, staked, staked out her house. But after like another day and no sign of Amy coming or going from the house, the detective decided to convince Joey to call Amy and find out where she was. Supposedly, Joey hesitated, but he made the call and found out that she was just hiding inside her house where the police went in and arrested her. God, can you imagine Amy's parents? No, no I cannot imagine. (laughs) 
no idea that any of this was going on and it's escalated no. to this. Jesus. Right? Fuck. It was just a broken mirror. Like what has happened? Right? Mm-hmm. So Amy's story was highly suspect. She had a hard time understanding that Joey had anything to do with her being found and arrested. She admitted that she was at the scene when Mary Jo was shot, but claimed that shooting Mary Jo was an accident. The gun went off inadvertently and hit Mary Jo in the head, but that wasn't on purpose. Okay. She refused to reveal the names of Paul or Jane trying to protect them. And Petey, I think. And she declared that Joey was the one that had given her the gun. She also disclosed her sexual relationship with Joey to the police. Mm -hmm. The investigators were not buying Amy's telling of events. They could tell she was trying to protect someone, but who was not exactly clear. Eventually, police learned about Jane and her possible involvement, but Jane's mom got her all lawyered up and no charges were ultimately filed against her. All she did was do her hair and tell her where to get a gun. Yes. Jane. Basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The police also wanted to go after Paul thinking he must have been involved in the scheme and may have even been the one driving the car. But an eyewitness from the neighborhood said that Paul was not the person who she had seen waiting in the car and he was dropped as a suspect. Okay. On May 22nd. So we're like three days out from the shooting. Joey gets brought into the police station for a more formal interview. Mm-hmm. Police ask him if he's the one that supplied Amy with the gun, like she said, and Joey was adamant that he did not. But police were already pulling together the receipts, literally, that would show that Joey and Amy had been having a relationship. And this was not something that would be kept under wraps. Because now it was becoming a national story, a tabloid bonanza with shows like uh-huh. A Current Affair running the story and digging for anything they could to make the tale of the fatal attraction of the Long Island Lolita even more salacious. Oh my God. She is a child. Okay. So like side note for anyone who's not aware, Lolita is the title of a novel originally published in 1955 by author Vladimir Nabokov, Nabokov, which tells the story of a grown ass man who basically kidnaps and sexually abuses a 12 year old girl named Dolores and calls her Lolita, which is a Spanish nickname for Dolores. And the book is considered a modern classic, but it's the story of a pedophile, not mm-hmm. a wanton vixen who lures men with her feminine wiles. Mm-mm. God damn it. The fucking nineties, man. Oh my God. And this was like six or seven, something like six to seven years before Monica Lewinsky. I was, look uh, how she was treated. I, I mean, I the was 90s just going to say that. Fucking the 90s, Lorena Bobbitt, the, the, like oh, that was yes, yes. classic domestic violence, battered woman syndrome. And she yes. became a joke, a tabloid yes. joke. Yes. Yep. Talk shows at the time were competing to get anyone on their shows that they could, who were connected in any way to Amy, Joey, or Mary Jo. Some mm-hmm. of Amy's ex-boyfriends were tracked down and apparently all too happy to talk along with some of her former escorting clients. One of her clients even told, uh, even sold a sex tape that he had made when he'd been with Amy to a current affair. And this was really bad for Amy's public image, painting her as a wild and careless sex maniac. Okay. But isn't that literally distributing child pornography? She's child 17. Sex abuse? Yes. 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 What in the, oh my God. This was also the decade of R. Kelly, you know, and his fucking tape peeing on like a 12 year old or a 13 year old and everybody making a joke out of it. And marrying 16 year old Aaliyah. Yes. Mm-hmm. God. Actually, I think Aaliyah was 15 when they got married. What a time. I, I seriously. alive. Seriously. Mm -hmm. So on May 29th, a grand jury indicted Amy for attempted murder in the second degree, criminal use of a firearm in the first degree, armed felony assault, and other charges. Amy pled not guilty, of course, and her bail hearing was scheduled for a week later in the Nassau County Criminal Court. And the following week, the night before her bail hearing, the sex tape aired on national television. I'm sorry, what? Mm Mm-hmm. They... They aired a sex tape on national television? Of course, you know, they blurred things out. But yes, A Current Affair and Hard Copy, all those fucking shows, they would totally fucking air that shit. Oh, my God. 
Do you not remember? Like a current affair was the worst. Like tabloid, like TMZ. Mm-hmm. Kind of, yeah. I didn't know that they aired it. That's terrible. Mm-hmm. The next day, June 2nd, at the bail hearing, the DA argued that Amy was uncontrollable, manipulative, violent, and extremely dangerous. He drove the recklessness home by pointing out her sex work and then said she, quote, stole clients from the escorting service to make money on the side. I, I, I literally, my next sentence is the 90s were wild. This was five or yeah. six years before the Monica Lewinsky stuff. Good God. I, I, in a courtroom, I, like no oh. words. None of these men are being brought up on any kind of rape charges. It's all no. just about how she's just like some sex vixen. That's right. This cool. teenage girl. Yep. So fucking This was disgusting. also the decade of Poison Ivy. Remember that movie? Yes. Yes. Alyssa Milano, right? Yep. Which weirdly, I think that she played Amy Fisher in a made for TV movie. Didn't she? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The DA suggested (laughs) that Amy was a risk to society and should be denied bail. But if bail had to be allowed, he thought it should be set at $2 million. Which is basically the same as denying bail. Because. Right. And this is an enormous amount of money now. In 1992, $2 million bail was insane. Yeah. Amy's attorney objected, but the bail was set at $2 million. At the time, it was the highest in the history of Nassau County, Long Island. She is 16 with no money. Like, where is she going to go? Well, she's 17, but yes. But yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, I know exactly what. She's probably soups grounded right now. So like, just let her fucking go home. <laughs> Seriously. She's so grounded. She's so grounded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they took her keys, you know, they took her yeah. keys. God. Amy's attorney arranged a new bail hearing for the 6th of June, but between the first bail hearing and the next... Two of Amy's acquaintances appeared on TV and both these young men claimed that Amy used them for sex while attempting to get her hands on a gun. And although Amy denied that any of that ever happened, the damage had been done. And at the end of the second bail hearing, Amy's bail remained at $2 million. God. Meanwhile, Joey was able to stay completely in the clear, even going so far as to call into the Howard Stern show and suggest that he never cheated on his wife nor had any affair with Amy. What a piece of shit. Such a piece of shit, dude. I hate this guy. Most people were skeptical, right? But he continued to maintain his innocence in all of it. His entire family, including Mary Jo, stood by him refusing to believe he had anything to do with the shooting or with Amy. So he think he's, he's convincing people that she did come to his shop to get the mirror fixed and what just became obsessed with him. I mean, I guess like what? It's not even because he's just that much of a dream boat, Amber. He's just that much of a dream boat. Have you seen pictures of Joey? (laughs) Yes, I have. Especially as an old man now, but even then, he was not a catch. No. I never understood it. I never understood it. Uh Uh-uh. Samesies. And then Amy made bail with the help of KLM Productions, who raised the money for Amy's bail in exchange for the rights to her story. Uh Uh-oh. This poor girl just keeps getting fucking swindled, and she's not old enough to understand. Where is her attorney? Where are her parents? Exactly. (sighs) Then Mary Jo filed a lawsuit against Amy, Amy's parents, and Peter Guagenti, PDG, who had admitted a month prior to supplying Amy with the gun. The weapon had been found in a sewer near Amy's house and was an important piece of the evidence. Mm Mm-hmm. Amy's charges could have amounted to up to 50 years in prison. Her attorney made a deal with the DA for a plea bargain where Amy would receive between five to 15 years and immunity in exchange for her testimony against Joey. 
This deal was accepted by Amy in September. This is 1992 now. But two days after the announcement of this deal, another tape aired on hard copy, and it was audio that Paul Makeley had secretly recorded the day before she took the deal where Amy talked about wanting a Ferrari for all the pain and suffering that she had endured and hoping that Paul would marry her so she could have conjugal visits when she was in prison. Is she still dating this guy? What? No, I don't think so. All these people are just don't have her best interest. Nobody does. Where are her people in her corner? She had none. Oh, and this, of course, just further damaged Amy in the court of public opinion. And she was so upset by this betrayal from Paul that Amy actually tried to take her own life with an overdose of tranquilizers. Mm. She was rushed to the hospital where her stomach was pumped and then transferred to the psychiatric unit of Huntington Hospital for the next month. Oh, in late October, the DA announced that he would not prosecute Joey in connection with the crime and that the Buttafucos were relieved that Joey was exonerated. Amy, on the other hand, was sentenced to up to 15 years in prison in December of 1992, and PDG was also sentenced the following February, receiving six months for obtaining the gun for Amy. But nothing for, like, driving the car? No shit. Right? I'm sorry, did you just say that Joey didn't have any criminal charges? Nope. Oh, I fucking hate this. Also in February of 1993, the Nassau County DA's office announced that it would reopen the case against Joey for statutory rape charges based on Amy's claims. Good. In spring of that year, Amy was brought in before a grand jury to testify against Joey, where she told them that he had taken her to various hotels and engaged in sex with her starting at the age of 16. The jury was also shown the receipts literally from the hotels that supported Amy's claims. Mm -hmm. Mary Jo testified too on behalf of Joey. Mary Jo. She said Amy was lying and repeatedly said that her husband did not cheat on her, but Joey was indicted on felony charges of rape and sodomy and endangering the welfare of a minor. He pled not guilty, was led away in handcuffs, all the while professing his innocence as he was walked out of court by authorities. Okay, what? Fucker. What's Mary Jo's? Is she a stay-at-home mom? Is she completely financially dependent on him? Is she delusional? Like, what? Maybe. What's, oh, Mary Jo deserves better than all of this. Yeah. The DA office had a great deal of evidence against Joey, and he knew his chances were slimming of getting away with that shit, so he pled guilty to one count of statutory rape during his trial in October of 1993 and ended up serving six months. Six months. Yep. After his release, he moved to L.A. and pursued an acting career. This guy is fucking John Bobbitt. This guy is John Bobbitt. What a fucking gross fucking douche canoe. He did some spots and cameos here and there and then was arrested again in 1995 for violating his parole when he solicited sex from an undercover officer posing as a sex worker. You fucking piece of shit. Is he still with his wife? Yes. They did not get divorced until the spring of 2003. That's my next sentence. Oh my God. They had been married for 26 years by that time. Later that same year, Joey was arrested again, this time for telling an undercover investigator, he's constantly spilling it to like undercover cops, how to file phony insurance claims for undamaged cars. Just like a a friendly tip to... I guess... Oh my God, this guy. He served a year in jail and five years on probation for that one. He was also barred from working in the auto body industry in California for the rest of his life. Well, that's okay because he's an actor now. And also he keeps getting slaps on the wrist. So he has no incentive to stop his fucking ridiculous behavior. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. In August of 2005, he was charged with the illegal possession of ammunition as he is a convicted felon and not allowed to have ammunition or firearms and Mm -hmm. served another three months for that. 
Mary Jo went on to write a book about her story called Getting It Through My Thick Skull, Why I Stayed, What I Learned, and What Millions of People Involved with Sociopaths Need to Know. Oh, good for you. Good for mm-hmm. you. Good God. She said she was inspired to write the book after her son referred to Joey as a sociopath. She didn't know what the word even meant. And after looking it up, she had a realization which led to her going public with her story. I want to read that book. I kind of do too. Amy yeah. served seven years on her five to 15 year sentence. She was paroled in May of 1999 after a Nassau County judge shortened her maximum sentence to 10 years, making her immediately eligible for parole. The judge found Amy had not been appropriately represented by her lawyer at the time of her 1992 guilty plea. No, clearly fucking not. Clearly not. Amy became a columnist for the Long Island Press and then published her biography, If I Knew Then, written by Robbie Wolliver and published in 2004. It became a New York Times bestseller. In 2005, she married Louis Bellera, 25 years her senior. Mm. And they had three children together. The two divorced in 2015. In 2006, Amy and Mary Jo were on Entertainment Tonight and The Insider together. Oh, it's also fucked up. I also read somewhere that in like 2003 ish, I think Joey and Amy were both at like the skin bowl or whatever, which is like that stupid, like the football or like where women play in lingerie and they were at the coin toss together or something. It was also fucking weird. It's also fucking weird. Anyway, over the years, Amy has made money off of sex tapes, stripping, pay-per-view adult films, and as of 2022, was still a webcam model. She said that she planned to strip until her fans told her, quote, dear, please put your clothes back on. You're too old. Well, at least she's making that decision for herself. Right. Wow. wow. And that's, that's the TLDR on the Amy Fisher story. Jesus Christ. Oh, there's so much, there's so much going on there. Right? There's just so much to unpack in all that. Yeah, because she's very clearly a victim, but also the perpetrator. The perpetrator. And it makes yes. it very, yeah, how much accountability should she have had? I don't think nearly as much as the law decided that she should have. Oh. And how did Joey get away with everything so often? It's just like, what the fuck? And then, yeah, Mary Jo. Like, Mary Jo. Oh, Mary Jo. But you know what? She got there. She did. She did. And, you know, I, I, I mean, I can't, I do not want to diminish what she went through. I mean, she got shot in the fucking head and was lucky to live. And I remember, mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember, but I remember her at a press conference. I remember video footage of her like standing mm-hmm. at a press conference and like talking to the press with her like kind of, you know, weird drawl and disfigured face because like she got fucked up. And I'm mm-hmm. sure like permanently right? Like that's a permanent thing. I don't think that was just like her in recovery. I think that like some shit was done that was never going to be fixable mm-hmm. to her face, mm-hmm. to her brain. I'm, you know, like, and she stayed, but like, she was also like recovering from a traumatic head injury. Right. And I suspect she probably was a housewife and we're talking about Long Island you know, mm-hmm. I, but if you go, I'm thinking he's Italian. I mean, they did mention like, was this a mot? This couldn't have been a mafia hit. Like, obviously there's like a lot of mafia in the area and that kind of thing. Right. Like there's this, that, you know, I, some mm-hmm. of that stuff's cliche, but some of that stuff is real, you know, like that. Yeah. You know, I don't know oh. if they were Catholic, like maybe she felt like she couldn't get divorced, but like she convinced herself that her husband wasn't cheating on her. Like maybe she mm-hmm. had to be in denial. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. I mean, oof. Oh my God, that, that, yeah. And at the center of all of this, it is fucking Joey. Yes. Just living his life like a, what a piece of shit. Such a piece of shit. God. Good Mm -hmm. God. Mm -hmm. Ew. Mm -hmm. It also too, like thinking of Mary Jo, it reminds me, I, I won't get into full deets because I might actually cover this case, but a friend of a friend 
it's a long story short, but her husband was having an affair and she didn't know it. And the lady he was sleeping with also had a husband and he followed his wife one night while she met, met up with her, whatever, mister, and shot him and killed him. And so then this wife found out in one message that her husband was dead and he was having an affair. And this like conflicting feelings of like grief, but also fuck you. And like, how does your brain and your emotions even catch up to process all of that in one message? Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's just so complicated. Like, where do you focus? Like on your physical healing or your emotional healing? That's too much to take in. It's way too much. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Especially if she had had no idea. And you were asking like, how would she not know if they're spending all this time together? It's like, he owns the auto body shop. And you know, if you know, when you're a business owner, he's just probably telling her all the time that he's just at the shop. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's true. Oh, wow. Sister. God. Okay. We'll cross that one off your list. Cause I, I beat you to it. (laughs) You know what? You did a better job than I would have. No, that's not true. That's not true. It all happened the way that it should have. <laughs> well, do you have a, a palate cleansing chaos? I do. Or like a double, double Debbie Downer chaos? <laughs> no, it's, it's a bit of a palate cleanser. It's a little right. bit obscure. Okay. Okay. I love obscure. All right. All right. I'm going to tell you the story of Anastasia Romanoff. The princess? Yeah. Okay. I mean, you- I, I kind of know this story, but um, I'm interested you do? to hear how, yeah, I'm interested to hear how you tell it. Okay, great. I didn't know this story. I just thought it was a Disney movie. So the more you know. So uh, it's, it's no kind of Disney movie in real life. No, it's not. So we are no. going to Yekaterinburg, Russia, July 16th, 1918. Please don't ask follow-up history questions because I will not know the answer. Okay. Um, in the aftermath of the Bolshevik Revolution, the exiled emperor, Tsar... Nicholas Romanov II, his wife Alexandra, and their five children are woken up in the middle of the night by who would be their captors. These revolutionaries all saw Nicholas and the monarchy as the enemy because he stood for a cancer that made it impossible for the working class to rise. Mm-hmm. Not much has mm-hmm. changed since 1918. No, uh-uh. no, no. We're, we're, we're globally under a, a fascist rule in every country. <laughs> yeah. So the family was herded into the basement along with four of their servants. And while waiting in the basement for what was to come next, a group of Soviet police came down with their weapons. They had guns and bayonets and shot each of the family members and their servants. Yep. Afterwards, the bodies were burned and buried in a mass grave. But after the killings, rumors started to circulate that the youngest daughter, Anastasia, had survived. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It was thought that the Soviet police were intoxicated and with such a large group of people in a small space, when the shots were fired, it was like chaos and the basement had filled with gun smoke and that possibly Anastasia was able to escape. That's one theory. Mm-hmm. It was also known that the Romanov family had plans to flee and go into hiding knowing that they were in danger because people were not a fucking fan of this guy. And so knowing that they had sewn all of their jewels into their clothing for easy transport. And so other people believed that maybe the jewels sewn into the clothing may have worked as a shield to the bullets. Interesting. Uh huh. And another theory is that she was shot, but one of the guards could see that she was still alive and felt bad. So he snuck her out and put her on a carriage and instructed the driver to take her to Romania. I've heard that theory. Mm -hmm. So fast forward, we're in Berlone, Germany, February 17th, 1920. Okay. And the lifeless body of a young woman is pulled from a canal after a suicide attempt. She has survived, but has traumatic amnesia, and she is admitted into a mental health facility. The doctors are unable to identify her, and so she is referred to as Miss Unknown. Okay. So for months, she is experiencing the highs and lows of confusion and post-traumatic stress responses, and the entire time there, she's known as Miss Unknown. After about a year... Another patient in the hospital points out how much she looks like one of the Romanoff daughters. 
Uh And people start to believe that she is Anastasia. Right. Mm -hmm. In 1922, the woman who had also gone by the name of Anna Anderson, this is Miss Unknown, she's released from the hospital. And after her release, she started referring to herself as Anastasia. Oh, I mean, just roll with it, girl. Just roll with it. I I love it. (laughs) So this eventually made national news and there were kind of two camps of people, some who believed that she was an imposter and some who believed that she was the surviving member of the royal family. Right. Some of the extended Romanov family believed that she was Anastasia and even took her in. (laughs) Clever. Clever girl. This mystery woman that was found in a canal was like now royalty. Mm -hmm. She did have a Russian accent and scars across her body consistent with bayonet wounds. She also had what was called cornflower blue eyes, which matched Anastasia's. Interesting. Pretty compelling evidence suggesting that it was her. So by 1927, she's living in a castle in Bavaria (laughs) as a guest of Duke George of Luxembourg, a distant relative of Anastasia's father. Because the side note, you guys, all royalty is related. They're all connected. Mm-hmm. That's why all of these conflicts, all the rich people, all the elite, they're all one big fucking group. They're actually all looking out for each other. Can I tell you how legitimately confused slash disturbed I was when I first watched Downton Abbey and realized that the oldest daughter was marrying her cousin? <laughs> That's I was like, what's going yep. on right now? Yep. Yep. That was soup's norms. Yep. I, oh, okay. So anyway, so she's living in the castle, but other people in the castle started to think that there is no way she's the long lost princess. And this is because detectives had been looking into who this Anna Anderson was and where she came from. And they believed that she is actually Anna Anderson, who was a Polish peasant girl whose name was actually Franziska. And Francisca moved from Poland to Berlin during the First World War and suffered a severe head injury while working in a factory. She had a brain injury and cycled through different mental health facilities and then jumped into the canal in 1920. Okay. I sort of really hope that it is Anna Anderson, that she was a Polish factory worker who was able to convince people that she was a princess and now she's living in a castle. Like, right. It's kind of like what that is it. Anna Darby is her name. That gal that like was just scamming all the rich people in New York into thinking. That yes. She was, like, that she's a yes. socialite. Yeah. Yes. Oh I'm my like, God. Get it. Fucking get yeah. it. You know what? Scam all those rich motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> Live high oh. on the hog as long as you can on other people's money. Get it. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Might as well. Right. So by 1938, the debate is still going on as to whether this is Anastasia or Francisca. And Miss Unknown petitioned the German court to restore her birthright and make her legal name Anastasia Romanoff. This became the longest running court case in German history. Oh, my God. Mm hmm. They had handwriting samples submitted and close-up photos of Anastasia and Miss Unknown. Apparently, the uh, Miss Unknown's ears had like a weird shape happening, like at the entrance of her ear that Anastasia didn't have or the other way around. Did we talk like, about this before where there's actually somebody I've heard in different circles that like your ear is actually more unique than like your fingerprint? Really? Uh-huh. Why is that? I don't that wasn't know, me you, that you were talking to you, about. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm going to look into it more. Maybe we can talk about it over virtual wine, but I, I have heard this from multiple sources and I've never actually do- dove in to like find out if it's true or not, but supposedly your ear is more unique than your fingerprint. Interesting. And you can identify people by their, basically like their ear impressions. That's fascinating. Well, in the 1930s in Germany, they seem to have known that. Or they were hip to something, yeah. They were hip to something. So this drug on until nineteen early 1970s when the court case was finally closed and was deemed inconclusive. 
1938 wah, wah. to 1970 of like looking at ears and shit. It's like a 32 and- <laughs> year case. It is 32 years round and round in circles in a court. Like paperwork after paperwork back Can and you forth. Imagine. No. Oh my God. Does she even live that long? Jesus. I don't know. But if I was the clerk in that courtroom, I, I do no, I do not want to I mark mean, another ear picture as evidence. No. They went I'm through dead. multiple clerks through the course of that. Oh, that, I know. Uh, Retired, died. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> so have to have kids. Yeah. <laughs> Oh Got my married God. And left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Fuck. By 1991, seven years after Miss Unknown's death, the remains of the Romanoff family were found buried in a mass grave not too far from where they were executed. The remains showed that the remains of the son, Alexa, and one of the four daughters was missing. Really? Mm-hmm. So the news hit the media that two of the bodies were missing. And for those who already believed that Miss Unknown was Anastasia, they were now fucking convinced. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So they test the bodies of the people that they did find for DNA and they compare it to hair samples, which is not reliable anymore, right. but to, to Miss Unknown and find that it's not a match. She is not a Romanoff at all. <laughs> She's a Polish factory worker. Good on yep. her. They're able I to hope get she lived a really good life that whole time, though. <laughs> <laughs> yep. They were able to get DNA samples from relatives of Franziska, the Polish factory worker, and Miss mm-hmm. Unknowns was a match to her. Oh. Mm-hmm. But you know what? She lived her fucking best life at the end. She there. did. Mm-hmm. Much later on, there was another grave found with two bodies that tested positive to be the son and Anastasia. Oh. Yeah. But even still today, there are people who think the DNA testing was fake and that Miss <laughs> Unknown was Anastasia. They also think that the earth is flat and birds are not real. And Elvis lives. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah. But regardless, Miss Unknown. Oh, burning. <laughs> yep, on my blue suede shoes. <laughs> AKA Anastasia, AKA Anna Anderson, AKA Francisca. Still became larger in life. There have been books and movies written about her, including the Disney film Anastasia. And in these fictionalized versions, she is always the real princess. She's the rags to riches. I found out I was a princess story. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, that kind of propaganda, too, is just. I know. Don't make us all believe that we can get there. You, too, Um, could be a princess. You just don't know it yet. I'm going to go jump in a canal and see what happens. (laughs) It's still unclear. Like experts have also sort of dissected um, Miss Unknown's psychological records. And it's unknown if she was so unwell that she actually believed that she was Anastasia or if the entire thing was intentionally posing as her to live a good life. But even until the day she died in 1984, at the age of 82, she never wavered that she was Anastasia. Good for her. You know, manifest that dream. You know what? Speak it into existence. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I hope that she was mentally very well and knew exactly what she was doing. Right? Good for you. Such a cool story. Sounds like she lived a long, happy life. And I, I'm down for that. I'm down for that. Get it, factory girl. Partying with the Duke of Luxembourg in the castle. Yes. Sure. God. Seriously. Love it. Love that for her. That's amazing. <sighs> I'm pretty sure that the Romanov family, her dad, that that emperor, that czar, that czar I'm pretty sure that that was the family that Rasputin served. Yes. And Rasputin is his own, he's mm-hmm. his own wild story with his I know. own, like, folklore around him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God. Uh, sister, that was amazing. I Thank love you. that story. It was pretty short, but <laughs> no, I love it, was, it too. There was a lot in there, though. It was, like, packed to punch. It was good mm-hmm. stuff. Thank you, sister. Thank you. Uh, we did it. <sighs> We, we sure it. did. We did that. Um, virtual wine night. Virtual January wine 20th. Night. Mm-hmm. Saturday, your... 6 p.m. 
specific wine or your non-alcoholic beverage of choice or whatever you want. But you got to be a member of the Chaos Kids Club. So you got to go over to uh, patreon.com backslash crime, wine and chaos and sign up to be a part of the club. That's right. And then you'll also get a bonus episode every month that Mm -hmm. only goes to the Chaos Kids Club members. That's right. You'll get your private link. Do not forget to drink your Ovaltine. (laughs) (laughs) You'll get your decoder in the mail. Um, (laughs) And of course, we're on all the things. We're on... All the we're on both the meta platforms. We're on the X. We're on the TikTok. We're all the places. You can mm-hmm. find me on those places at Misnomers. And uh yeah, go follow us. And follow uh, us. hey, if you're on an Apple device, go into that Apple podcast, find us and write us a review and give us yes, a star please. rating. We love that. Or, you know, a review us wherever you listen to us. I think it all counts. And if you have anything you want us to know, and it's you know you need more characters, you can just send us an email. Send us pages of emails. It's Shit, yeah, you crime, can. Crime one and chaos at gmail dot com. The love letters go to Amber. The hate mail comes to me. But you know, we read we all of it. it all. We've, we've we respond. read all of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We absolutely respond, sister. Okay. Thank you so much. That was you. absolutely oh, chaotic. Dick. <laughs> Goodbye. Crime, Wine, and Chaos is produced by 8th Direction Records. Artwork by Joshua M. Davis. Music by Paul Abner. If you would like to support the show, you can visit our Patreon page at crime, wine, and chaos forward slash Patreon. Cheers. I lost my spot. You're in your room. Okay, you know what?